listening to the Bible 126 show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Man in America. So leaked audio from a meeting of China's war generals reveals detailed plans for a potential land invasion of the United States sometime by the end of the year. So what indicators do we see that the CCP is preparing for war? Are war machines and a wartime economy already being prepped for a last-ditch effort before they crumble? This is going to be a very important interview with communism expert Jeff Nyquist that you will not want to miss. So folks, if you're not following me on social media, make sure you're following me on Telegram and Truth Social as Man in America. And today's show is brought to you by Rise TV. Rise TV is literally the reason I can do Man in America full time. With the big tech censorship and demonetization, they've made it really tough for people like me with a mission to tell the truth. And that's why we built Rise TV. Folks, right now we are at war and you will see it even more so in today's show. And it's an information war. And Man in America is how I'm fighting. So we have on Rise TV a massive content library and an amazing community of patriots. And for the second half of today's show, we'll do a Q&A over on Rise TV where you can ask Jeff your questions. So if you want to check it out, there's a link for a free trial in the description below. So come try it out. I think you're going to end up staying. And folks, look. I believe we have some very shaky times ahead of us. The dollar is nearing collapse, which is actually one of the main objectives of the CCP, as you'll see in today's show. And a lot of folks are looking for ways to protect their wealth. And I've always been one to recommend physical gold and silver. For, for this, I'm confident in recommending Noble Gold. You can buy gold and silver directly or you can do an IRA transfer. So Noble Gold specializes in IRA transfers, which allow you to transfer your IRA assets into physical gold and silver that you own with zero taxes or penalties. So if you want to learn more about this, open up a new tab right now and go to goldwithseth.com or you can call 877-646-5347 to speak to someone right now here in America. Again, it's 877-646-5347. All right, folks. So we're going to jump right into today's interview. There is some incredible information coming out about potential plans that the Chinese Communist Party has for Taiwan. And it looks like there's a good chance of plans towards an attack on the United States. And on my show today, I'll be joined by an absolute expert and author on everything as it relates to communism, especially Russia and the CCP. So folks, let's go ahead and welcome Jeff Nyquist. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Seth. And this is, I think this is our fourth interview, our fourth discussion about what we're, you know, we were before had referred to as China's endgame, which they're now referring to as the final war as things are heating up. So this leaked audio was, had come out recently. It was Jennifer Zhang who had uh, broke this information. And I know that you've studied it in depth to validate it. So can you just tell us what is this? What is it that has, what information has come out of the CCP and what's it telling us about what they're potentially planning? Well, actually, uh, Jennifer was the first person to beat everybody to translating the recording from, from the uh, Chinese dialect um, 
that was spoken at this Guangdong Standing Party Committee meeting that happened apparently on May 14th. Uh, it was actually the Luda Group that their network of contacts in China that got it out. Um, and I had a chance to speak to people involved in that. Um, Dr. Li Meng Yan uh, was the person I spoke to. They have more information than, than is on the tape. And I should sort of frame this by something everyone can look up. It's the May 19th Wall Street Journal article. Uh, the, the headline is, China insists party elites shed overseas assets, eyeing Western assets. Um, that is about how China is preparing to seize Western assets in China, and they want to pull their assets back from overseas so they don't get seized. This is a pre-war move. It's a very unambiguous pre-war move. Just like they're stockpiling of food and fuel and war materials, just like their uh, the other preparations, for example, their, uh, this recorded meeting, where they talk about a mobilization order that was given by the Central Committee of the Communist Party of China to mobilize for war. The, they call it the transition from normal to war. So what we are talking about is China is going to war. It's not if or whatever, they're going to war. And from analyzing the transcript, it's going to start any time from, now this meeting was May 14th, from 90 days from the 14th to before, I'm told, before November 1st. That's the window that I'm told. I mean, this can change, I assume. Uh, countries getting ready for war, they, they have things that go wrong. But this is what we get from the intelligence we're receiving. So in this transcript, which I've read the majority of, it's quite a long transcript. That was the one thing that I saw consistently mentioned in there was just a transition into a wartime economy, wartime production, um, you know, and, and also e even internally, both you know, internally and then externally, you know, kind of around the world, propaganda surrounding this wartime effort to make sure that all the Chinese people are on board with it and they're, they're pridefully fighting for the motherland. So, so what is, is it, am I correct in understanding that what you're seeing here is the very concrete actions of China really gearing up to like, take actually very real actions of a, of a war, a kinetic war in the, in the world today? Two years ago last march we started seeing chinese military publications saying that war is coming uh we saw it in the eastern theater uh their official uh, publications said this is not going to be a drill we are going to war you had uh, chinese nationals on twitter on other social media saying yeah we're being told that china is going to war um i had a hong kong businessman i'm on the committee for the present danger china He's told the committee he had, had extensive contacts in Beijing, that his contacts were telling him, and this was a year ago this month, that China was preparing for a war within months, that they were actively getting ready. And now, you know, from all kinds of sources, I had sources from Southeast Asia, from, from the countries of Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, that those countries were being told that both China and Russia were getting ready for war against the United States. And they were beginning the actions of process. Now we're seeing you can't organize for a war on this scale without it basically becoming widely known. Because we're talking about, look, they're talking about mobilizing 
in just one province of China, almost a thousand ships, right? They're talking about uh, retrofitting 64 10,000 ton row row ships that can carry more vehicles than were used by Hitler to invade Russia. Okay. We're just talking about the logistical preps that they were discussing there. So 45 days to uh, retrofit the Roro ships. And the guy was saying, responsible was saying, I can't do it in 45 days. I can almost do it. Right. And then you had, you had an addition, you had um, 588 rail cars. And if you did a calculation, it would take you about maybe 45, 50 days to move all the vehicles that you could put on those Roro ships by train to the ports in Guangdong. That's just Guangdong. That's not even the theater that's normally assigned to invade Taiwan. The Eastern Theater Command is to invade Taiwan. What the heck are they doing? And And then there's the coordination with Russia, which we can talk about. Yeah, and and that's an interesting point. I really want to get your thoughts on that because the transcript is talking very specifically about Taiwan. But do you believe that they anticipate that if they attack Taiwan, that Biden is going to retaliate in some form? And that they will then have to mobilize a fleet to come over to America? And what, how do you think that would play out? Well, there's towards the end, the latter part of the transcript is really interesting because it's about defending the targets in Guangdong, right? And then how they're going to deploy. This was the one argument the officials had. They had an argument that was so nasty that the governor, they asked the governor to mediate, and he absolutely refused. He put it on the military district commander. He said, you decide, commander. I don't want any part of this. They were arguing about how to deploy the People's Armed Police. Or were they going to uh, put the police to defend against uh, riots and social unrest that would be triggered, the suggestion was, by military strikes on the province, right? creating social disorder, or were they going to defend against those military strikes, implying that that there would be maybe sabotage agents coming in maybe from the coast, lurking spies was the translation in Jennifer Zeng's translation, um, coming into the coast. So, and this argument broke out, no, we have to defend the four nuclear power plants and the command center, we have to have the people's arm. And then others saying, no, we have to defend against the, an uprising in the megacities. And that was an interesting element. And the uh, commissar, the political commissar, Wang Shujin, chimed in. And he said, well, we can help by using propaganda and psychological warfare. We need to explain to the Chinese people that it's America's fault because America is counterattacking us on these targets and causing the problems. And this was the most alarming, maybe the most alarming sentence in the whole meeting because he used the word counterattack. That's in more than one translation. And one lady who listened to it, who has defense background said, this implies that they're going to use DF-41s, their ICBMs on the US, and that they're expecting a counterstrike. This is the way some analysts read it. And so how would they, if they're going to, is DF-41, is that what it's called? The type of missile? Yeah, it's uh, Dongfeng-41. It's the most recent, most uh, modern Chinese ICBM. It was deployed starting in 2019. So how would they get those 
close enough to the United States. I know that there's been discussion. No, they're, they're ICBMs. I they see. can so hit anywhere in the United there. States from China. Yeah, I see. They can hit anywhere. They have uh, multiple warheads can be put in each of them, so each one can hit more than one target. We don't really, I don't think we know the exact number of, of those that they've had. They were rapidly building missile silos. This was detected many months ago. How many missiles are in those silos now? Uh, this is very alarming, right? Because it sounds like they're anticipating a nuclear war. And do you think, so something that I'd also seen in this discussion is that part of the reason for the Shanghai lockdowns was so they could pause a lot of the international shipping. And you see this being discussed a lot in the transcript, the conversion of regular cargo ships basically into war machines. I know that uh, I'll pull up a graphic here really quickly, but there in the previously was a lot of information that had come out about China's, their container ship um, missiles and basically yeah. how China could could retrofit a container ship, park it off the coast of America, and all of a sudden they open up these missiles. Now here's a different image. This is from China, right? Where then one day these they open up and they start firing on the mainland. Yeah. You see that? The, the Russians developed this technology. It's been dubbed Club K. Um, the idea is you can put cruise missile systems in these containers, and they're hidden inside. And they can open up, and suddenly a merchant ship uh, can become a missile platform for launching cruise missiles. The cruise missiles, of course, could have nuclear warheads or conventional, and uh, modern cruise missiles are pretty accurate. And they could do a Pearl Harbor-style attack on San Diego Bay, on um, you know Bremerton, on Pearl Harbor, on various military facilities that support our fleet. And so... You mentioned the the most alarming part of this transcript for you was the counterattacking from America. And so, and that was also one thing I pulled away from that was more so, it just seemed like they're preparing for something much greater than just an, a, yes. an, an interaction with Taiwan. Yeah. Like it was mo- well, almost like they're preparing for World War III. Y- yes, you're exactly right. It is, well, look, we're talking about one province and you've got more ships being mobilized and more assets than the than we did for the invasion of Normandy, which was the biggest invasion. Now, obviously, I I have to make this statement. Look, Taiwan has 170,000 standing army. They have 1.5 million reserves on an island. This is a much bigger... Taiwan has actually military capacity actually as great as Ukraine, only in in an island that is mostly mountain and rough terrain where the flat areas around the coast, particularly on the, uh, on the, um, the east, uh, west side of the island, are very urbanized. So the flat areas where you would use armor, tanks, are very urbanized. Of course, tanks aren't really suitable to use against cities. Um, it's, it's infantry that you want to use, infantry and artillery, as we see in the Ukraine war. Uh, to, and, and, and so knowing operational art of war, the, when the number of vehicles just in Guangdong province they're preparing to load by retrofitting the row row ships is more than they could practically use on Taiwan, mm-hmm. right? Because of the terrain, because of the urbanization of Taiwan, you would be using mostly infantry and artillery in that battle. And that's not what we're, we're seeing. You know, this is enough for 
I don't know, 18, 20 motorized, mechanized, Chinese call mechanized divisions uh, to, to move the vehicles. Well, where the heck are they going to? I mean, a, first of all, if you're invading Taiwan, that's a short distance away from, you don't need 64 and you don't need that many. You could use, you know, 20 Roro ships with repeat trips, right? Because they can go back and forth. And besides the port, how are you, you got to get a port to offload a Roro ship. You can't offload it on a beach. Even if you have mulberries, we did that at Normandy to offload. The, the offload capacity isn't going to be for 64 ships. It's impossible. So you're, it's way too many vehicles for Taiwan. I mean, it's way too many ships for Taiwan. This is very obvious. And then there's another consideration that everybody should consider. This is like would be on the level of invading, you know, Operation Olympic, the invasion of Japan. And you know the invasion of Japan, horrific. You know, we would expect uh, some people said we lose a million men. This would be way above Normandy. This was the biggest amphibious invasion ever contemplated by the U.S. This kind of invasion by China would be on that scale. But the type of ships they're preparing aren't the type of ships you would use in that kind of invasion. Very, very intriguing and alarming just from a, a, analyzing. And that's just one province in one military theater command, which isn't even the one they would invade Taiwan from. So I know that you've talked a lot in the past about the coordination between Russia and China and the timing of what's happening in Ukraine is you, you almost you couldn't plan a better time because as I understand it, a lot of our resources, the United States resources are, are assigned and over in Ukraine, leaving us very vulnerable. And even the ability that we would have to say, manufacture more of what we would need to combat this um, we, you know, I, I was listening to an interview recently with you and Mike Adams, where you said it, we're a couple years out of the ability to you know, produce what we would need. So, has the? Do you think that the what's happening with Ukraine was part of a plan between China and Russia to lure the U.S.'s resources to that region, leaving our country more vulnerable? It does appear to be that the Russians have drawn our attention to Eastern Europe to help the Chinese and what they're pre preparing for. Um, that is an obvious conclusion that any strategist would be likely to make. Um, what I would say is that, you know, when you look at America moving 110,000 troops to Eastern Europe, uh, sending, you know, more javelins, it would take us two years to double our production of these anti-tank weapons. And, uh, and we've used up four-year supply by sending them to Ukraine. Um, this is alarming, especially when you look at the number of vehicles the Chinese are preparing to put on the water, you know, tanks, uh, APCs, self-propelled artillery. And that's just from one province, as I said. You know, they, there's several coastal provinces that have, by the way, more military resources than than that one does. So... Yeah, it it does look that way, and and I would add, I asked the sort the people who smuggled this uh, this recording, fifty six minute recording of the generals and officials meeting. Um, I asked them what is what are they hearing through their uh, their uh, sources in the Chinese military about Russia, 
and about the Ukraine operation. And the one thing they told me was that, well, the, the generals and the People's Liberation Army are saying that the Russians have not used their best troops in Ukraine, that Russia's best troops are hiding in the Far East. They're hiding in Siberia. And I said, okay. And of course, you got to remember that on February 4th, Putin went to Beijing at the beginning of the Olympics and met, and they made a joint statement saying that China and Russia is the most powerful combination of, of, of great powers, more powerful than anything during the Cold War. They, they made this kind of a statement. So uh, it, it does indeed look like you know, they've got the Russians are going to participate in whatever this is in the Pacific. And what's alarming is if you look back to an operation, an exercise called Vostok 18, took place in 2018. It was a practice, uh, Russian practice involving Chinese and Mongolian forces to invade Alaska. They they massed ships in the at the Bering Strait. So what you know, what are they gonna do now? What are they preparing? It's, it, yeah, the, the more evidence stacks up, you can see that it really points towards one thing. Um, you've spoken before about the fifth column. Can you explain that? Because that's also something I'm seeing surrounding a lot of this discussion is large weapons caches. Um, and even in this leaked audio, talking about activating foreign assets of, of people. Um, to kind of fight and put forth, put forth this war. So can you explain what the fifth column is and how that relates to the United States? Yeah, the fifth column is forces that are sympathetic, would be sympathetic to an invader uh, that are in the country that's being invaded that would help them. For example, the pro-Nazi activists in Norway, before the Nazis invaded Norway in 1940, uh, you had uh, the defense minister of Norway was a Nazi sympathizer. Uh, Quisling, we get the word Quisling, that's his name, Defense Minister Quisling. He helped the Germans uh, get a foothold in Norway. He was actively supporting them. He ended up becoming the, um, the ruler of Nazi-occupied Norway afterwards. Um, so it's, it's a combination of traitors and sympathizers and infiltrators uh, of the country uh, in advance. And we have Lots of Chinese all over Canada, United States, Mexico, South America. They control port assets. They, they've been managing ports in the United States. They control uh, container areas of the port, storage areas. Um, this has been a very dangerous thing for us to do. And it, it look, when the, people talk about, you know, Normandy, it's a beach invasion with small craft supported by 150 ships that basically then brought across the English Channel the rest of the invasion force. We're, when we look at, the, at this, it's not, the Norway wasn't a beach invasion. The, Russia, the, the, the invasion was done when Norway was at peace with Germany. They were trading partners. The German trading ships, the merchant ships came into the ports, but instead of having merchandise, they had troops and equipment. They came out, seized the port, opened the port up for other ships to come in. And by the way, it wasn't a giant fleet that showed up. It was one ship they were trickling in. And the reason why, they had to get by the British fleet, which was right off the coast of Norway, laying mines. So the Germans conducted an invasion, 
And the British fleet ruled the seas. It was the big, biggest navy in the world at the time. So the British fleet is along the Norwegian coast laying mines. And here this German invasion of these merchant ships spaced apart, infiltrated by them. They did sink a few of them. Infiltrated right by, got in the ports and took the whole, all the ports up and down the whole. Norway is just a giant coastline. It's a huge coastline from Narvik to Bergen. Of course, they had to force their way up uh, Oslo Fjord. Uh, they lost, I think, a, a pocket battleship fighting their way up. There was uh, gun defenses. But other than that, it was just an infiltration. And this is alarming for our friends in, in Latin America because the Chinese control so many ports. They're building a giant port in Peru. It's alarming for our friends in Australia. Any country that trades with China is going to have this threat because if the ships are all sent out, you got your stopwatch, you all arrive, all the ships will arrive at a certain time, they'll offload, they'll seize the ports. How much of the Pacific Rim could be captured by this a, a giant movement, right? Um, China, you know, I've heard military people say this ridiculous thing that China doesn't have the sea lift capacity. Are you kidding? The Chinese transport ministry says they have 142 million tons of shipping capacity in China, in, in, in 240 Chinese-owned companies, shipping companies. So, okay, so to give that, people don't know what that means, 142 million tons. Japan, when they attacked Pearl Harbor, had 7.7 million tons. And with that, they occupied French Indochina, they invaded the Philippines, Borneo, uh, Indonesia, a vast archipelago, uh, New Guinea, the Solomon Islands, Wake, Guam, the Aleutian, the two outermost Aleutian Islands, and if they won the Battle of Midway, they would have occupied Hawaii. That's on 7.7 .7 million tons. All right, we're talking about almost 20 times wow. the lift capacity, right? So we know that China is been very long-term in their approach with this. And part of this process has been infiltration of governments to weaken those governments. Do you think that Biden is aware of what China is doing? Do you think that Biden is actually acting on behalf of China? Because if you look at a lot of the actions that he's been carrying out, it's almost as if he's trying to weaken America and make us ripe for the picking for China. Yeah, I don't even think that if somebody had been in China's pocket paid for, if they knew what was being prepared, they would continue to cooperate with it. Because nobody wants to be hanged or lynched by their own countrymen, which is what would happen if this played out. The uh, I would give him zero chance of physical survival. His own Secret Service men would probably shoot him out of hand uh, if he had, if it becomes clear that he had cooperated in this. I don't, I don't think that, I think he's play, playing the role of a useful idiot. We know that from the uh, Hunter Biden laptop, if that's to be taken seriously, it appears they've taken a lot of money, the Biden family, from the Chinese uh, sources. I think the Chinese have been very expert at uh, involving us in business that's very lucrative so that large corporations and politicians who receive money from those companies uh, you know, China's going to withdraw their company if we're too anti-Chinese. You know, Hollywood tried to make Red Dawn as a Chinese invasion. And Hollywood couldn't do it because China said, you can't make a movie where you depict China as invading America. That was very sensitive to China. They didn't want Red Dawn made with Chinese invaders. Why? And it, and, and, and Hollywood self-censored itself. They made it ridiculous about an invasion from North Korea. North Korea can't invade the U.S. 
It's impossible. It's absurd. Right? But they but Hollywood changed the movie for China. This shows if China has the influence. Imagine if you know the original Red Dawn was in the 80s, was the Soviet Union invading the Lore 48, which was the Soviet Union's plan at the time, by the it way. Made after sense. The movie us, made sense for they would in invade, history. right? But the Russians didn't have the influence in Hollywood to cancel the film. The, but China had the influence. So you see how dangerous Chinese influence is and how it paves the way for this preparation that, oh, now they're not going to invade. Don't listen to that conspiracy theorist. And they're retrofitting the ships, right? For what? Where are they going with that much armor? Is it really Taiwan? I'm skeptical. And I'll let me read you the Defense Minister of China's statement about invading Taiwan. This was made 20 years ago. It was the Defense Minister of China, Chiao Chen, at the end of a speech about attacking America, using biological weapons on America, which some people feel the COVID was a Chinese biological attack. Here's what Chiao Chen says in the speech. So this is how he ends just, the speech. So this was the Minister of Defense from China? This is around, what, 20 yes, years ago? Yes, Chiao Chen, 20 years okay. ago. This is what he said. This is a quote. This puts everything in context for me. He says, as long as we resolve the United States problem at one blow, our domestic problems will all be readily solved. Therefore, our military battle preparation appears to aim at Taiwan, but in fact is aimed at the United States. Wow. And the preparation is far beyond the scope of attacking aircraft carriers and satellites, right? This is out of the horse's mouth here. Now, I'll give you two other data points that support this quote. I uh, was contacted by a British journalist who was very upset. This is uh, 17 years ago, 18 years ago. She said, uh, I need to talk to someone about you, uh, uh, about, I need to talk to somebody about an experience I had, and I've almost wrecked my career talking about it within the BBC and, and other British media. So I, I have, but I have to relieve my conscience. I have to tell somebody, and I'm told you're somebody that might be able to use the information that you would actually credit it, because I'm told to shut up, that say nothing. Uh, she was part of a film crew doing a documentary in the South China Sea, and they were allowed to be in, filming a uh, amphibious exercise by the Chinese People's Liberation Army Navy. And they actually, I guess you could say, made the mistake of actually interviewing sailors. And they started asking the sailors this question, how do you feel about invading Taiwan? You know, you're, you're practicing for invading Taiwan. How do you feel about it? And the sailors would say, we're not practicing to invade Taiwan. We're practicing to invade the United States. And pretty soon it got back to the Chinese officials that this is what they were recording. Chinese officials kicked them out of the fleet, took away their cameras, and she ended up going back to England. And she, was, she started saying, repeating this story to other journalists and to her bosses, and they ended up telling her, shut up. Do not repeat that story. We are not. This is because of the involvement of British commercial companies in China, that it would damage their commercial relationships. That's another data point. Now I'll tell you a third data point. Um, years ago, I worked with Colonel Stanislav Lunev on different projects. He was the highest ranking defector from the GRU, the main intelligence directorate of the Russian general staff. He spoke fluent Mandarin. He worked in China and he told me about after the fall of the Soviet Union, there was this military conference that he attended. He was one of those people that read plans, knew how to read 
and and be involved in military planning. And it was about a future invasion of North America. And they said, look, uh, Russia's military is shrinking because of the transition from the Soviet Union to the uh, Russian Federation, but we're not uh, terminating our plans to for war with the United States. We're going to go ahead with those only with China as our partner. We have made certain agreements with China. We are going to invade Alaska and parts of Canada. China is going to invade the lower 48. We provide the missile firepower. They provide the overwhelming bulk of the manpower, the invading force. And that this is, you know, obviously a long-term, you know, preparation, you know, because you can't just pop up and do this without really long-term coordinated planning between Russia and China. And I, and I asked him seriously, I said, do you think China and Russia could defeat the United States? And he says, yes. And I said, right now? Well, they could do it right now, but it's better to wait. They have better chances the longer they prepare. Um, and that was his analysis. And I, I had many conversations with him about it and how it would work. And uh, it's very frightening when you put these data points together with this recording of this military civil meeting of the Communist Party Standing Committee in Guangdong, because it actually fits together. All the information fits with what I know. And the most interesting part that you just you know, talked about is just how they are using Taiwan as a mask. It's all about Taiwan when in fact they're talking about America. Um, so, but, but one thing I, I want to really understand your thoughts on is Shanghai, because that's something I've had a really hard time making sense of, of why they're locking down you know, nearly 30 million people in Shanghai. Is that, how does that fit into this, big, the bigger picture? I think that the total number of people being locked down is over 280 million now. And the number of ports locked down is more than just Shanghai. Um, why? Because in the transition from normal to war, you're not going to be making stuff for Walmart anymore. If you're going to war with the U.S., you're not going to be shipping consumer goods. You're not going to be making anything for our supply chain uh, whatsoever. So you have to transition your factories. Chinese factories are made with the idea of, of dual civilian military use. They can be converted to war production. So I understand that when these lockdowns started, they were already converting the factories over to war production. So you are making junk for Walmart. Now you're making ammunition or spare parts for tanks or tanks or vehicles or trucks or uniforms, whatever. Instead of making clothing, you're making military uniforms. Um, so it, 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 it seems to me that um, that's one aspect. Then if you have to get the ports ready for thousands of ships to be prepared to load troops, you can't have those ships loading consumer goods, right? And you don't want your population to know everything because then all the details leak out through social media. They end up, you need to cut the internet off. You need to maybe target American satellites before you do this. You need to, you know, you, it's impossible to make this preparation without it being observed. So it's very important that when we see the preparations, we think it's all for Taiwan. Oh, wow, this is an Olympic-style operation. Taiwan has, you know, uh, 1.5 million troops they've got. The Chinese have to mass an enormous invasion. So that's what all this is. But look, the United States in World War II thought, we're not going to invade Taiwan. And the Japanese forces on Taiwan weren't even as powerful as the ones that we're seeing now that the Chinese have. I mean, the Taiwanese have. 
So we buy, we said, it's too ridiculous. We're not going to sacrifice men invading this because we can just blockade it and bypass it. It'll have to surrender, which it did. Surrendered without a fight. Most of the Japanese island strongholds surrendered because we had them surrounded. You know, and they surrendered at the end of the war or after the end of the war. Um, why would they do that? So, you know, talking in terms of practical military operations, um, we're looking at something much larger involving all the Chinese, all five of the Chinese theater commands, not just one province. What about all of the guns in America? I'm sure that they fear. I mean, really, America is the world's largest standing army. If you look at the the, the civilian held um, you know, guns and ammunition. So how does that, do you, do you think they see that as a significant threat? Could that be also some of the pushes for gun control? Do you think maybe there's some strings being pulled there for these politicians in the United States to disarm Americans? Like if you look at California, for instance, which is, you know, would be one of their, you know, say kind of beachheads to, to invade, you know, through you know, the coast of California, where Newsom, and I've heard a lot of rumors of suspicious ties and bribes from China, where it makes it very difficult to get the kind of guns that you would actually need to defend yourself against uh, a military invasion. Yeah, um, obviously, uh, civilian small arms would be very important for defending uh, really uh, terrain with a lot of forest, like they have in Northern California, uh, cities, urban areas, um, but you need you do need anti-tank weapons, which we've sent so many to Ukraine. Look, how how does a guy with a rifle start stop an APC or a tank? He can't. You can have you know uh, millions of guys. Uh, you know what what did General Yamamoto say? Uh, Every blade of grass will have a rifle behind it. Um, that's a misunderstanding of how war works. Uh, let me give you a st statistic that is kind of helpful. World War II. The, in the first half of World War II, the number one thing that killed soldiers on the Allied side was the German Mauser rifle. The rifle was the number one killer in the first half of the war. It killed the most. Second half of the war, no. Second half of the war, the number one killer was the American aircraft. <laughs> They killed more German soldiers than any rifles, right? So in terms of the kind of war you're waging, you can have a war where artillery is killing more people or armor is killing more people because modern war is combined arms. If you have just infantry, you're vulnerable to artillery and tanks. If you have just tanks, you're vulnerable to infantry. If, if those tanks advance into places where infantry is hiding in buildings or, or covering terrain, so it is a complicated thing, but you got to remember that China could raise, you know, 30 million troops. And with the size of its lift capacity, it could send 5, 10 million troops here. Um, and then you have weapons of mass destruction. You have biological weapons. You have nuclear weapons. They can nuke the major cities and bypass them, right? I mean, look, the streetcars were operating uh, the next morning in Hiroshima uh, you could nuke the major cities. They wouldn't be, it wouldn't kill everybody unless they use multiple nukes on singular cities. They might do that in some cases, but they could use this, these kind of terror tactics to force areas of the country just to give up. And then you have the problem with how are your, your riflemen with a rifle behind every blade of grass? How are they eating? 
Where are they getting their food? If transportation, communications, food, if they use an EMP and it knocks out the electricity, how are they able to pump water out of the ground to drink? How many people are going to die of dehydration? How many are going to die of starvation? Um, these are questions we don't know the answer to. And look, if if 3 million German troops invaded Russia and occupied huge areas of the Soviet Union, major cities, you know, the third largest city in Russia, uh, the, the two largest cities in, in Ukraine, uh, you know, how is it, you know, that China couldn't do it? They don't care about casualties. They're 1.4 billion people, right? So how do they, how does it, you know, countries are taken over by armies all the time. And the Chinese, above all, are able to sustain the casualties. 1.4 billion people. If they lost 10 million people, that would be nothing to them. Well, they're, they're voluntarily killing 10 million of their own citizens just for religious belief or organs or anything. They, yes. they will sacrifice people very quickly. That's a very good point. You know, I was just rereading the history of Mao's civil war thing. He actually killed more of his own people uh, mobilizing his army in the civil war than the enemy killed. So you, you, you have to understand, they are right now, one of the things Dr. Lee uh, Meng Yan told me was that they are now combing through part of these lockdowns, they're combing through the population, and they are eliminating who they consider to be unreliable, which is what Mao did in the two years leading up to the, to the finale of the, the Chinese Civil War in the 1940s. Um, he, like, he, he, he cleansed his army of 150,000 people that he thought were unreliable. They either, they either were executed or they knew they were going to be executed and they fled. They just deserted and fled. So that's just and that's a in 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 the scale we're talking about. That's nothing. I mean, look, 1.4 billion people. If they if they murder 100 million of their own people, you know, Mao is is the I think the Guinness Book of World Records credits him with 60 million, and some people say it's a lot higher than that yeah. that Mao killed. And these are the followers of of Mao. They believe the same things Mao did. In fact, uh, Xi Jinping is a big guy on Mao Zedong thought. And he, he has three people that he admires, according to uh, uh, Stephen Mosier, who wrote a book on this. He's a China expert. He said, Xi Jinping admires Mao Zedong, Joseph Stalin, and Adolf Hitler. He's even had a, a statue of Hitler made that he keeps in his, I think Mosier said, in his residence. So these are his models, right? Those are, those are the three, three bad biggest models. <laughs> <laughs> the three biggest mass murders, go to the Guinness Book of World Records, the three biggest mass murders in history, Hitler, Stalin, and Mao. And, and Mao makes Stalin and Hitler look like pikers by comparison. He was the real big killer. And that's just a quick side point there is that it's interesting how in Hollywood, every movie about mass killing is always about Hitler. It's never about how many blockbuster movies have been about China and about Mao Zedong. Right. Never. Right. And, and by the way, uh, Mao Zedong's great buddy, uh, uh, Pol Pot, who used to play pool with, with Mao in China, but Mao liked to play pool, uh, he killed uh, between a quarter and a third of the population of Cambodia when he took over. That was the Cambodian genocide. Um, the killing fields, as they call it. 
So the communists, if people think the communists, the communists are bloodthirsty, murderous, power lusting, they're psychopaths, they're criminals of the most unbelievable kind. You just when you if you read the the more recent a Chinese and a, a Western scholar got together and did a biography of Mao, you literally want to vomit. It's so he is so violent, he is so foul. He he would come into a he took control of an army. And all of a sudden, all the commanders in the army started dying. Now, there's other red armies at the time, and nobody was dying in any of them. And it's all the commanders are dying, and you figure out he's killing them all because he wants to put his own puppets in that army. He wants to be sure he controls it. Control was was Mao's obsession. It is Deng Xiaoping's obsession, uh, uh, exception. I'm sorry. It is his obsession, too, to control. And that, when we look at the lockdowns and the port closures, as as the the sources of this, as Doctor uh, Li Mengyang is is explained to me, it's about control. All of this is about control. And if they can control the population, they can make the transition from normal to war. They can feed the war economy. They can organize the forces. They can win the war. So. Just for for just a quick note for anybody that is just joining, so there's there's a lot of people that are joining and watching live. Uh, I'm interviewing Jeff Nyquist. This is a critical critical discussion on China basically preparing for war. So we always do a Q and A at the end of the show. It's over on Rise TV only because this information is so important. We're going to keep the Q and A portion still public. However, if you want to ask a question, I'm only going to be fielding questions from over at Rise TV. So if you want to, if you have a specific question for Jeff you want to ask um, and you want to be part of that discussion, head on over. There's a link in the description below for a free trial to Rise TV. Um, but we'll be, we'll be taking questions from Rise TV. But as I mentioned, for those of you that are watching on YouTube, Facebook, uh, you know, Rumble especially, we'll keep this public for you to watch this because this is a very important discussion. Um, now, Jeff, you spoke recently about how some of your contacts on Wall Street were telling you they expected a collapse of China's economy within the next year. So can you touch on that a little bit, but also talk about, is that also what's propelling them? Like they have to transition to a war economy because they're on the verge of a collapse. They have to change something to survive. Is this a last ditch effort for them? Well, that's a good question. I, you know, I put it in the context, I think they've been preparing for this for a long time, but um, last October, a Wall Street banker uh, who's an expert in economic warfare made the statement uh, before a, a group meeting that I, that I attended that um, China's economy was going to collapse by the end of the second quarter in 2022. And he thought that they would have to go to war in March or April. And of course, he was he was uh, r- rather more elated, more happy at the beginning of March. I think it was late uh, February after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. He saw that they weren't going to China, was not going to uh, go to war in March or April. So he thought they were just going to hit the wall when it comes to uh, the end of June. So he thought they were done. They were going to unravel. But what we see in this war preparation is it's not, if you can, if they can successfully transition from a normal economy, this is, you know, they're stopping their trade. 
they're changing over their industry. They're going over to rationing, right? They're, they're not going to have the money to pay their workers. They're just going to give them ration tickets. And aren't they going to be glad when they're let out of their apartment? Oh my gosh, I'm not a uh, under house arrest anymore. I'm not in my apartment. I'm able to go out now, and I can actually I can go to work and I can see my friends. They're going to be, you know, they're going to be elated, right? And it's like, well, who cares that they're not paying me? I mean, I'm being fed, and now I can move outside my apartment. This is probably the logic of how they get people to accept. Yeah. So almost as if these lockdowns, which right now there's, I think we're nearing 300 million people that are locked down in China, that as that's part of a psychological operation to prepare the Chinese people for a war economy and a war system. But also I'm sure it's been really effective at doing what you mentioned earlier at weeding out the dissidents. So they can see the people that are on social media trying to talk about the lockdowns, people that are denying, you know, not obeying the lockdowns. It's a really good exercise to get people in line for the yeah. control of a population that's needed once they move into a war. I mean, is that how you understand it? Yes. Um, yeah, it is because they're going to see who follows the rules and who doesn't. And they don't, you know, Mao made the statement back uh, in the 1940s, you know, let's just kill everyone who doesn't follow the rules. And it worked for him. You would think it wouldn't to be that um, sanguinary, to be that bloody. You would think it wouldn't work. It uh, He won the Civil War. It's really creepy, but he did. Um, and yeah, I think you've got that right. Um, absolutely. Well, it's also, I, I, I have also been studying you know, communism in China that part of their whole philosophy and how they've run their, their communist system is to really, at any given point, keep about 5% of the population under some form of persecution, which really keeps the other 95% in line. Like going back to 99, when they, ban- they outlawed the practice of Falun Gong, where you had you know, nearly 100 million practitioners of this that overnight became enemies of the state. They're rounding them up, torturing them, now selling their organs. It's just, this has been similar to how this has been a hundred year war on the West. They've also been waging this war on their own population to get them in line with what they need to do this. Yeah. These are the techniques pioneered by Mao in the twenties, thirties, and forties, how he ended up getting, uh, becoming the ultimate warlord of China. Um, and, and you have to remember there, there's, uh, foreigners, there's Westerners in China. They're locked down here. There's Chinese liberals who sympathize with them. So being able to identify them, separate them out from the population without them being able to organize, they can't form a crowd, they can't get sympathy, they can't reach the media, they're isolated. Imagine when you're locked down, you're isolated, you really are helpless. And, it, and then they can come for you one at a time. They can, all right, we'll come to this neighborhood, we'll get the bad people out here. Oh, look, there's some Brits and Americans and... Australians here, we'll, we'll put them in a camp or we'll put them in, um, you know, what, what do you do? You put uh, foreigners, uh, when you go to war, you put them in internment camps or maybe you just kill them. But internment camps, both Britain and the United States uh, put uh, f- uh, people who are sympathetic to the Axis or in the case of America, Japanese Americans in internment camps, right? So, and of course, the Germans famously had their concentration camps. That anyone that disagreed with the regime and certain ethnic minorities like Jews were put in those camps. Um, and of course, Russia famously had its concentration camp system. So, you know, all war powers in World War II did this, basically. 
Yeah, and you you can see that lead. You can see that happening. You can see the foundation laid for this. Um, so we're going to now open this up for the Q and A portion because I've seen I've been seeing the questions coming in, and there's some incredible questions. So for those of you that are watching. Uh, like I said, we're going to keep the Q&A portion public, but if you want to ask a question, it's only going to be done through your account over on Rise TV. There's a free trial in the description below. So I'm going to start with this question, and this came in from Debs and Michelle, who's, who's asking about the Chinese troops in Canada. And so they said that you know Canada allows Chinese troops in their country. Do you think that they will try to invade the U.S. through Canada and also up through Mexico, South America, et cetera. Basically, is that part of what you see happening? Well, I guess we've seen this film taken from British Columbia of Chinese people in, you know, uh, military utilities or camouflage utilities, hiking, you know, without weapons. And there's some kind of Chinese camp. And of course, there's a large Chinese population in British Columbia in the Vancouver area. And the question is, are these Chinese citizens, you know, the the question is assuming that there's a Chinese army there. Not that anybody knows there's a Chinese army there, but if you have Chinese have infiltrated Vancouver, British Columbia, have they then smuggled in weapons and uniforms and can some number of Chinese suddenly put on those uniforms, get those uh, weapons and take over the port of Vancouver? Um, I think the answer is yes. When you look at the German Operation Vezerebung that they invaded Norway, this is what they did. They had infiltrators already in Norway. They put on the uniforms and got their machine guns. They grabbed airfields and ports. The Germans came in through the uh, airports and the ports. Um, this is very possible in, in, in Western Canada. It's definitely possible. As far as them advancing against the United States, going across into uh, British Columbia, from British Columbia into Washington State, uh, yeah, but probably not right away because there there has to be something done to Seattle, right? You have to, what are you going to do to Bremerton, Washington? That's kind of in between there. That's our big boomer base. You would have to strike that base at the beginning of a war that involved invading North America. And that strike would probably have to be nuclear, which means, and it would have to be a ground burst. So you'd have a heavy fallout area. So you probably couldn't even operate troops there at the outset of the war. You'd have to wait 13 to 18 days before you could go through that area because the fallout dissipates, the intense uh, short-term fallout dissipates. So that would be my only comment. Uh, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, uh, you know something that I'm seeing a lot in the comments in general. Uh, when and this is not just this interview, the handful of interviews I've done with you, people are saying, "Oh, you're just fear mongering and this." Mm. But th- there's th- this is very real information. You're someone who's been studying communism, especially the Russian and you know the CCP, Soviet Union, for a very very long time. But for people that are that are kind of saying, "Look, you know, this is fear mongering. I don't want to look at it." What would you say to that? Uh, no, I don't, you know, obviously it's unpleasant. Um, look, I've been studying this unpleasant subject for uh, 35 years or more. Um, I, I hope it's not true, but I'm, what I'm relating are facts. Uh, people, you can read the transcript of the 
standing party meeting in Guangdong. You can read the Wall Street Journal about them preparing to seize Western assets and to pull their assets out. And all their war preparations, they have 67% of the world's uh, food stockpile in their country. Why are they doing this? They've been stockpiling gold and uh, raw materials of all all kinds. China has a 10-year supply of oil. Of what they would need, they've they, that's how big their petroleum reserve is. They could go without oil imports for ten years, and you can look that up on the internet. the 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 numbers are there. Uh, what they produce and what they import. They import something like seven million barrels a day. You look at what do they have? Twenty five billion barrels in their stockpile. You could do the math. It, it turns out to be as well. seven years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, unless I made some mistake, so why have they made these preparations? This is not innocent. And look, if you know the history of the Communists, Communist Party, Soviet Union, Communist Party of China, their goal is to make the world revolution, world October, take the whole world over, make it communist. And, uh, you know, I'll just, if you think I'm making it up, let me quote the former head of the Communist Party, of China, uh, uh, Hu Yintao, in 2008, he was the general secretary of the Chinese Communist Party, and this is a quote from him. In history, the Western powers used warships and opium to colonize China. Now the opposite has happened. We will use our open policy, seize the economic crisis in the West as a historical moment, and use effective measures to turn them into socialist China's economic and cultural colonies. Our colonization of these countries is the historic process of communism's triumph over rotten capitalism. We Chinese communists must shoulder the great historical mission and use socialism to defeat capitalism, eventually liberating the entire humanity with communism. It's pretty clear. And this is, look, there's hundreds of these statements made by Chinese leaders right up to the present. And I'm not making it up. So I, I just want, you know, you can have a fantasy of an Easter bunny and a tooth fairy and whatever, I'm sticking with the facts. Yeah. A good question that has come in from Kate, who's asking, do you think that the lockdowns and the ties between the WHO, Tedros, Xi Jinping, that crippled the economies and countries of our world were also laying the groundwork for what we're seeing right now? Yeah. If you look at the World Health Organization, the WHO, it has been said by people who have studied this organization that it is controlled by China. It is a Chinese puppet, and the the leaders of it have been communists. Uh, look, communism is not just in China; it's a world movement. These crazy people exist in the U.S. Look at look at Black Lives Matter and Antifa; these are communist organizations. Uh, I think that two of the leaders of uh, Black Lives Matter admitted to that they were Chinese communist trained. You've got them all over Latin America. You've got Cuba is a communist country. Venezuela, Nicaragua is under Daniel Ortega's communist country. Peru now has a communist president. Uh, Argentina has been uh, heavily with... uh, Argentina signed all kinds of agreements with China now. They're pushing Brazil, even despite Bolsonaro being there. They're pushing Brazil into the arms of Russia and China. Brazil is a BRIC country, right? They're part of a a block. It's called the Brazil-Russia-India-China uh alliance or economic combination and they've added south africa to that so so yeah i hope that answers your question it certainly does um here's actually a very good question from montana dude this is something i've been wondering as well um who says 
Is there any information regarding American countermeasures? Are there any rumblings of American military plans? If it's obvious that China can't hide their preparations, is America able to hide their preparations for what's to come? Well, you may notice that there has been increased, you know, people living near air bases and stuff have noticed increased practicing, increased missions, increased helicopter and air flights. Um, Of course, we are moving things into Eastern Europe, but we've also moved troops into Australia. I don't know how many. Um, So we've also been aware of this problem. Um, The first sign of preparations came after uh, COVID-19. A COVID-19 outbreak began in January uh, around Chinese New Year uh, in 2020, two years ago. In late March, if you go back in late March, the U.S. government sent its nuclear war staff for running a nuclear war. They sent them to deep bunkers in Colorado in the late March of 2020. And then in the within a few days, the strategic command dispersed all of its aircraft to various bases and the reason they gave was was the threat of storms weather right i didn't think so at the time i thought oh they know because this is when the first signs of china getting ready that we started to see we started to see for example in the eastern theater i mentioned before their military publications were out openly stating that they were war was coming um, and so we had those kind of preparations. And I, some of my military contacts went cold starting in uh, two years ago this month and would not talk to me. So there was, there was something secret going on. And if you, there's a fascinating, if you, uh, General uh, Todd Walters, our NATO commander, he's an Air Force commander. He's brilliant, by the way. Uh, he, uh, in his testimony to Congress the last two years, and then more recently, he talks about China and Russia being together and how we can put pressure on them and, and, and actually succeed if, if a war is between both of them. So this shows a high level of awareness from one of our top generals. And I think Admiral Richards, the head of the strategic command, has made some comments. It, it seems to me they're aware. Even if you don't, you know, you listen to Blinken, the Secretary of State or the President, they seem to be clueless. I think our military leaders are not. Which is probably a good thing that we have no idea what they're doing about this. Yeah, it might be. Uh, what I have heard over the last year or so is there is a kind of, uh, there's a certain level of desperation of getting things together because it's like the Chinese and the Russians have been preparing for years we just became aware within the last two years that something is going on with them and we're trying to play catch up and you're trying to play catch up. They've been preparing for 30 years. We're trying to catch up in two. And then they, we stupidly moved our industrial base to China. And so they make supply chain things. I mean, we got infiltrated and compromised up to the political level. And now the, we're going, uh Oh, we got a problem. How do we dig our way out of it? Now, we're pretty ingenious as a country. We can, I think we can do it. We've been coping with it. And I I don't know, you know, we have real problems with our political leadership. I don't think we have people you can call leaders. I think you've got useful idiots all over the place, not just our top business people. (laughs) Yeah. And in both political parties, I'm not going to pick on one or the other. I agree. I think we've got a um, a lot of that. And in Europe, it's bad too. 
You know, uh, there is in Europe an awakening regarding Russia. But look at a lot of these people. Look at what was what would the KGB file be on on Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of England? You know, it's it's kind of interesting to see him becoming anti-Russian when you think of the blackmail they've got to have on him. And it it, it may just be that we're going to see all that blackmail being poured out in the not-too-distant future. And you've got Germany, look, the Prime Minister Scholz of Germany, he is flatly pro-Russian. Even the Green Party people have complained about him. Um, so, and the people there... There's great worry, but I talked to a, a a a friend of Putin's, 31 year friend of Putin's last week, and you know he gave the Russian point of view on a lot of things, uh, but he's he's very worried, uh, and he's a guy that you know uh, he's very worried about where that's going, and Russia could very well make this nuclear, and uh, in coordination with China, to to create a new security infrastructure in Europe, to force Europe, and, and by the way, the economic problems with oil you're seeing in Europe, you've got connected to this, is we know that in about a month, there it's thought that Iran's going to get nuclear weapons. So there's talk that Israel, maybe with American help, is going to do a, a preemptive strike in Iran. That almost certainly will result in the Persian Gulf being closed down, at least for some time. What's that going to do to Europe and Germany that depend on that oil? How are they going to survive that? And they're already and will, extremely weakened, not exactly, getting Exactly. The Russian natural gas. They're actually paying in rubles. They're meeting the Russian demand yeah. in rubles. They, they can't, you can't embargo Russia. It's too self-sufficient. It's more self-sufficient, especially in raw materials than Europe is. So who is really coming out ahead is europe going to end up breaking down is european economy going to collapse if this thing goes on in the middle east and added on to the war in ukraine it seems to me that moscow and beijing has thought through this period much better than we have yeah well that leads to actually a good question from metal avenger who asked where do you think it would be safe if china attacks are there safe places in the u.s or europe or anywhere (laughs) Oh, that's a difficult question because, look, you have uh, missiles, uh, nuclear weapons, biological weapons that can reach anywhere. Um, You are obviously safer in a small town or in a rural area than in a major city. In a megalopolis, they're going to have troubles in that, not only with social order, but they are potential targets of biological and nuclear weapons that can can cause serious economic dislocations or serious damage to the cities with a lot of loss of life and a lot of people injured. So, you know, obviously to have a cabin in the woods, to have a place where you put some food and water away, somewhere where you can, you know, know to get out of the city. I hope that when, if a war does break out, I hope that we have enough warning that people can shelter themselves and prepare. I I really hope. I mean, the U.S. government, I hope, is watching this and Civil defense measures will be engaged at some point. You made a good point earlier when talking about, when I was asking about the Second Amendment and the guns in America, you said, well, if people can't have water or feed themselves, and that just really goes upon the importance, as you're talking about now, just for folks watching, um, you know, look at, do you have a water source? If the power goes down and you're just relying on city water, 
Do you have a well to tap into? Do you have a river nearby that you can get and filter water? Also, can you produce food? You know, can you grow food? If, if you can't just go to the grocery store because supply chains are completely shut down, which would be a very real possibility, um, it's just it's really important that people just think about these things. Um, here's a, actually a good question, and you kind of addressed it earlier, but I want to hear more information about this. This is from J.E.K. who says, how can anyone be absolutely certain that this leaked information isn't propaganda? The way you analyze information is you look at the context of the information. So the context is I've given, you know, 30 years of study to what Russia and China are doing. This is consistent with everything they've done. The meeting itself, a number of experts have looked at it. Uh, now I've, I've, you know, it's been shared. I've alerted other people I know. Nobody has found anything suspicious or wrong-footed about it. This is a very boring meeting, by the way. It's 56 minutes of old guys talking about 230-something administrative tasks under 20-something categories of things to do. Um, the a- analysis of it is not, you know, you got to be motivated even to read it. It's so dull. Um, you you got to analyze it. So a propaganda, not very effective. Nobody's going to pay attention to it. Nobody except for experts anyway. Mm. Um, here's a, actually another good question. This is from Lumpty Wonderful, who says, do you think that China has the capabilities to shut down iPhones, other electronics that are made there? Do you think they might do that in, in conjunction with an attack on the power grid? Or? That's an interesting question because the components of a lot of iPhones uh, and, and uh, things like that are made there, uh, whether they have a back door into those things. Uh, that would maybe be a greater concern that they could monitor our social media and track people and listen to what people are doing if they use those phones in the defense of the country. You know, maybe, you know, people wondered why the Russians didn't take down the social media or the power grid in Ukraine. Uh, They have different military doctrines and ways of doing things that are a bit mystifying to us. Uh, Maybe the big question is when you read Chinese and Russian military literature, uh, they conceive of a war as nuclear weapons. They don't understand why you wouldn't use them. It's it's they got great blast radius. They're quick. You can put them on missiles. We don't have that thinking. We're appalled by those weapons, and we think it's the end of the world. And people have a sort of mythology about it. So, um, uh, as far as electronic media, look, uh, EMP strikes at least local ones are possible. Uh, their satellite attacks on our satellites would probably greatly constrict our uh, the uses use of our phones. So I I wouldn't be so sure. I think we're going to end up on landline using landlines uh, back again. I I'm not sure that that kind of media or those kind of phones are going to be working. You know, if this thing really gets hot and 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 gets uh, awful, I I'm not sure. That's a, that makes sense. I just want to just tell folks that are uh, joining and watching that if you want to follow Jeff's work, uh, let me pull up your blog here, Jeff. It's just jrnyquist.blog. So just his, his name there says jrnyquist.blog. Um, this is, you know, your blog, I'll admit, has been one of my favorite pl- blogs to read. You do some brilliant writing on there. So for folks that want to follow um, Jeff and what he's writing about, this is the best place to, to do that. Again, it's jrnyquist.blog. Dot blog, 
Also, a reminder to anyone watching that if you want to help out, this is very important information. And what you, the best thing you can do is just share this content. Uh, places like Facebook and YouTube, I'm very heavily shadow banned to so make it really difficult for this information to get out. So if you're watching after the show today, please send this video to two or three of your friends, recommend it, go check out uh, Jeff's blog, jrnyquist.blog, because this is very important information. And I think that all of the insane events that we've seen happen the past couple of years, I think are leading up to a lot of what you're talking about. Yeah, it it does seem the problem with the information is it seems to fit with other information. That's the disturbing thing. And you have to always have an explanation for why things fit together if they fit together really well. And that's what's disturbing to me about it. So one other question that I have that's very important is what's happening with the U.S. dollar? Because we're seeing that you know China is talking to the, the Saudis about um, you know, kind of supplanting the U.S. as a petrodollar status. Do you think that China is also deliberately waging an economic war to try to collapse the U.S. dollar in our financial system as part of this overall war? Oh, yeah. China, Russia, and their allies are definitely trying to destroy the dollar. And of course, it's been talked about a long time. They wanted to create a bourse at one point where they were um, with Iran, where they would make... Um, People accept, uh, you know, pay for um, oil in something other than dollars. You know, they talked about a basket of currencies. Now the Russians have a gold-backed ruble that's um, that has basically prevented their currency from devaluing during this war. It's quite an interesting measure. It's a, a very bold measure by the Russians, but uh, so far it's proved to be effective. Uh, whether or not it it's going to last, we don't know. Um, when China and Russia have tried these kind of moves in the past, they've been abortive and they've been failures. This one, it looks like it has promise. Nobody knows. It's an economic warfare. Their economic weapons are, they're using fertilizer, food, you know, restricting food going to Africa and the Middle East, for example, from Ukraine, uh, and uh, fuel, petroleum, natural gas products. Um, and this is really has impacted the dollar. You look at what the gas pumps are doing. It, ha- it is having a real effect uh, on Japan and, U- and Europe that has uh, no great, you know, Japan has no uh, supplies of petroleum within their country to draw and they have to import everything. Europe is, is quite dependent on Middle Eastern oil and Nigerian oil and, and whatnot. So, well, when you take Venezuela, which is in the Chinese-Russian camp, and you take Iran out of the picture, if they start you know, playing this game and saying, look, we need the oil to be paid for in something other than dollars, suddenly people don't need the dollar as much overseas. See, we export our inflation. And exporting our inflation has allowed us to do the kind of expending deficit spending that we've done, because it's basically paid for our wars in the past we've it, printed more money. For, which... You'll see, and it's like a, a, a person in a government in Australia or Japan or Europe will tell you, "Yeah, we might complain about it, but we really like it." You know, this is America's tax on us for defending us, so they're they are okay with it, with us having this exporting our inflation and paying for everything in dollars because we defend them, because they're under our nuclear umbrella. But if we can't defend them, if they realize that we're not, you know, when you have the threat from of a war in Europe, Middle East, 
and the Far East at the same time, we can only cope with one word at a time. So it's like, oh no, we can't defend them all. And they're going, oh, the American promised to defend. Why should we support the dollar? We're going to pay for it in rubles, right? This calculation goes on, and then the dollar starts to erode, and we could get very serious inflation here, which we're seeing tick up in the U.S. And inflation of food prices and fuel prices. Look, everybody needs food and fuel. It's one thing you can't, you can get away with not going to the clothing store for a year, right? Just wear the same old clothes. You can go get away without buying a new car or whatever. You can't get away from buying your food and your fuel. Yeah, there's, there's no escape. And also, especially as you head right now, we're in the summer months and approaching summer, so it's not a worry. But as we head into the winter for people that are heating their home on natural gas or oil, you know, we might see a lot of people in America that can no longer afford to heat their homes even because of the ramifications from this happening. Yeah, that's why September, October are really the ideal months for starting a world war if you're Russia or China. Mm. Here's a very good question from the Dane who asks, if all you say is real, is there a way out? And you know, I'll add to that question by asking that if China is in this difficult state where it's almost go to war or see your economy and country collapse, does that mean that even though it feels like there's this grand plan that is calculated and we're very weak, that they are also taking a significant risk and this may not play out for them very well and this could actually end lead to the end of the CCP and the fall of China as we know it. Yes, very much so. I mean, you look at the stumble that the Russians had in Ukraine. Uh, we pretty much know the Russians thought they were going to get through Ukraine in a matter of days, um, and they didn't. And it was uh, d doctrine, training, very simple things that they, they weren't up to date on that nobody really realized the state of the Russian armed forces got them stuck there. Um, China, famously, they have the similar doctrines. The Chinese military was trained by the Russians starting back after the Chinese Civil War ended. They have always helped each other out, especially in recent years since they've gotten back together again. Um, there's a lot of unknowns here, but China could certainly... Uh, misstep. Um, the Chinese sources I have described Xi Jinping as a gambler. And this would certainly be a tremendous gamble. Uh, this one Hong Kong businessman who uh, who basically foretold this, this war plan, he said, look, the Chinese plan was to do this in 2035. They wanted an extra, you know, 13 years uh, to do, to plan for this. But because of the way Trump damaged their economy with his trade policy, they suffered a kind of damage that they couldn't correct for. And so they were on the skids and their economy has been unraveling. They've got really horrible banking system. They have more debt than the U.S. I mean, people talk about how much money they have. People don't realize how much debt there is in China, how much malinvestment there is, and how the Chinese economy is a house of cards. So it may, you know, some people think they're just going to, they're not even going to get to start the war because their economy is going to flatline and they're going to have, a, their people are going to rise up. There does seem to be a kind of um, desperation about riots and revolt in the megacities. I mean, you're sitting on the powder keg of 1.4 billion people. Can you control them if you're going to take their 
livelihoods away and say, you're, you're just working for food. You know, will that work? Yeah, that's also a, a major risk that they, that they have. And they, they address that in the discussion that was leaked as well, talking about how to control using their propaganda to how to control the population, but also then how to deal with the people very swiftly that aren't buying into the war efforts to, you know, to save the motherland from the imperialist Americans, basically. Right. So, yeah, that's also a yeah. giant risk. And the population yeah, you know, I think I, is, is a powder I'm, keg. I was kind of astonished that 6,000 uh, people's armed police doesn't seem to me enough if those megacities go. Uh, that kind of I thought, 6,000 people's armed police? That's not enough. It'd take more than that for Chicago. I would, well, I mean, well, maybe not Chicago, but certainly the the Pearl River Delta cities. I mean, they make Chicago look like a small town, yeah. you know, you know, when you combine the population there. So, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. It's, it, it was, there are these curiosities and I, you know, I think that they do mention other militia resources, but they don't give the numbers. Those have got to be pretty large. But then what is their loyalty? Mm. You know what happened in the, in the, in the Russian Revolution, uh, the, what's called the February Revolution, which actually happened by our calendar in March 1917, is that it was uh, elements of the Russian army that turned against the Tsar. Turned, they were asked to fire on crowds, riding crowds, and they wouldn't shoot them. Mm. And they turned their, gov- their, their guns back on the government. And when they sent other troops to put down these troops, those troops joined them mm. and joined the people. And they'd send whole armies in and, all right, we're going to... And then the armies would flip over. So that's how it happened. The czar had to abdicate. Um, so the, the, they, I think the Chinese, they know this history, the Chinese Communist Party, and they know the danger of this. And that's just, just an important point just to really reiterate for all of the all of you that are watching right now is that though a lot of this is very real and you know China Russia these are very powerful nations China is at a very very weak place right in so many ways so just always keep that in mind that we're not up against yes they're a powerful nation but they are at a very very critical time in history um here's another question this is a question that came in from Beachbound who says if we know that if we know this, then our military leaders, Congress, Senate, et cetera, all know. So are they all in on it, sending our defenses to Ukraine and leaving us as sitting ducks? No, I, I don't you know, people give other people too much credit. You know, I've I've had I've had colonels tell me that generals aren't that bright. Uh, look, politicians what do you think the real intelligence of politicians who are doing this all the time? They're taking yeah. polls, you know, is that, do they, do these people have even their own initiative for thinking their own thoughts? They don't, do you think you get elected to Congress by thinking for yourself? You know, there's the famous uh, Gilbert and Sullivan operetta about the guy who became the first Lord of the Admiralty. And I, 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 I thought so little, you know, they made me, they sent me to parliament, you know, uh, basically because he, he, he didn't think for himself at all you know, is the, the lines of the song. Um, I think people don't realize how systems work, social systems. It's like, you think people get, you really think people get rewarded for brilliance? Try to think a brilliant thought and open your mo- mouth and see if the corporate executives or the government leaders or the even the people listening like what you're saying. They don't. 
you know, the idea of people, oh, Nyquist, you're making all kinds of money. You're going to, you're going to scare people. You're tickling their ear. I uh, know I don't make, I can't make a living from saying this. I've got other sources of income. I'm not doing this for money. I'm doing it because I'm, I'm very interested in this. And I think there's great danger to the country. And I think we're terribly misinformed. And I don't think our leaders have served us very well. I don't think we have the right leadership. I certainly agree with that. Um, so we've got over 5,000 people watching and we have a lot of questions coming in. I know that we had a stop at 3.30. Are you able to go a little bit longer than that or is it still a hard stop for you? Sure. I, no, I can, I can go. I don't have another uh, meeting. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. And thank you again for being here. And just a reminder for all those of you that are watching, if you want to follow uh, Jeff, head on over to jrnyquist.blog. This is where you can contact him. Uh, and you know Jeff's very active in the comments on all the posts, so this is a great place to to kind of peer into to Jeff's mind, and you can learn a lot over there. So, um, here's another. This is a question from Wings over Texas. It kind of goes back into the question about our political leaders, who asked, "Do you think this is why Biden has been in favor of opening the southern border to help fa- facilitate an invasion?" Well, it's very interesting that a person whose family has taken so much money from the communist Chinese wants the border open. This is something that people who traditionally were on the left, they supported the Viet Cong during the Vietnam War, which were the side that the communist Chinese and the Russians supported. Why they're suddenly, they want America, of all the countries in the world, not to have a border, which means anybody can cross over. Why do they want that? Uh, one of the things people don't realize is that Spetsnaz commandos, um, uh, saboteurs that could bring a biological, chemical, toxic weapons of destruction and nuclear satchel weapons across that border if it's not guarded, if people can pour across. The other thing is that you've got millions of illegal aliens who have no means of support coming here to be supported by us, right? We don't have enough jobs for our own people with the economy going down. What are we going to do with an extra million or two million people pouring into our cities? That creates an economic problem and a social problem in the cities. And then it makes criminal networks. And this is something I haven't touched upon, but the Chinese triads and the Russian mafia are very active in Mexico. The drug trafficking, the it's been, you go back and you read old issues, old uh, Los Angeles Times really covers the border pretty well. They, they're a pretty good newspaper for the news. And they have stated in their pages that the Mexican mafia is a subsidiary, is that subordinate to the Russian mafia in terms of drug trafficking and other kinds of trafficking. And you know they're trafficking in weapons. And the Chinese, look, you had Scott Goldbranson write a book about how the Chinese 20 years ago were moving weapons through the port of Ensenada into Mexico and, and nobody knew where they were going. He thought they were going over our border. They were setting up weapons caches in the U.S. And, and he, he had a number of his witnesses killed after he interviewed them and his life was even threatened. So, you know, that his book is the silent invasion. I think you can get a used copy online. That was a long time ago. So this whole thing of organized crime in the open border, this is an avenue of an attack against the United States and the Canadian border. You read, there's a, something called the sidewinder report that it was a joint report of the Canadian Intelligence Service, CIS, and the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Sidewinder report was how the Chinese People's Liberation Army wanted to use Canada to attack America in the flank by infiltrating Canada. The earlier caller talked about um, what was happening in British Columbia and Vancouver. So this is not new. 
right? This infiltration of Canada and Mexico is a huge part of this. You know, now, as we were you know, discussing ground forces and ground troops, there's a good question from the Dane who says that nuclear war is suicide, so it never makes sense. Why a physical war makes no sense? And I remember you know, reading some of the literature about this, and it might have actually been the, the uh, Minister of Defense's speech you know, out of China talking specifically about using a biological weapon to kill off a large part of the population so as to preserve the land for farming, which is one of the main reasons why China needs the you know, continental United States. So do you think that the, so much of this pointing to a you know, kinetic uh, land-based attack, is that because maybe COVID had failed? Maybe it was supposed to be worse of a biological attack? Or how do, how do you make sense of that? I mean, um, I, am I allowed to talk about that? Uh, well, we are on YouTube, so we, we okay. talked we talk a little bit about I, it. We don't talk much about look, the... Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was interesting that this uh, uh, Dr. Bhakti, the American-born Thai doctor who works in Mainz, Germany, made a statement that really caught my attention. He said that he believed that COVID-19 was made in a lab, and he believed that it was a weapon meant to kill many, many, many more people that it was really meant to kill. But he said, I, I, I try to quote him exactly, the human immune system is such a marvel that it, be, it defeated this weapon. That's what he said. And I thought, wow, that's so interesting because in following that, I thought it, it, it's a weapon, but did this weapon fail? Was this a weapon? Was this the attack that Chiao Chen wanted to do and the weapon didn't work the way they thought because it mutated too fast it mutated down towards a common cold too fast. I, I don't know the answer to the question. Um, uh, a, a very interesting possibility, but uh, about nuclear war, look, uh, folks, you believe myths about nuclear weapons. I'm sorry, all of you are children when it comes to nuclear weapons. You haven't read about what radiation really does or these bombs do or what generals do. Nuclear weapons are perfectly usable. I mean, Chiao Chen in his speech talks about, we have clean nuclear weapons. Yeah, fusion bomb. If you airburst it, which most targets are going to be airbursted, there's no fallout. It's just a blast that knocks things down and kills people. It's just a blast. You could detonate hundreds of these things and produce no meaningful fallout. You could have, um, look, the Australian government did a study on nuclear war in 1980 about how Australia would be affected by fallout. This is if the Soviet Union and the United States, at the height of the Cold War, blew up every hydrogen bomb they had. Okay, And we, the, the arsenals are much, much smaller than they are. They're just a fraction of what they were then. It said, okay, there would be some increase of leukemias and cancers in Australia from the war, from the fallout that, you know, atmospherically goes around the world. Some, but be, but the cancer rate in Australia would go down because the import of tobacco from the U.S. would be cut off. Interesting. I'm not making it up. Look, uh, people have exaggerated the effects of these weapons, and it's coming from active measures from the Russians. They look nuclear winter. Uh, I saw a scientist that was promoting nuclear winter on YouTube. I, uh, you know, he just now somebody posted it on the. I watched it. It was brilliant. He did a mea culpa. He said, oh, I'm wrong about nuclear winter. It's not real. There is no such thing. And he, he actually showed scientifically why nuclear winter doesn't happen in a nuclear war. Well, the U.S. government did a study, which I read 30 years ago, 
uh, on it that could completely destroyed the theory. And they said, look, in order to create nuclear winter, you'd have to make a nuclear bomb the size of the Empire State Building. It would take more weapons-grade uranium than all the uranium on the Earth. You'd have to go to the moon to mine the uranium. It would cost more than the domestic product of all the countries in the world put together. And he said, then you can make an explosion big enough to cause the nuclear winter. That is to send the plume of debris up above the stratosphere to cause that effect. The mm -hmm. nuclear weapons just don't send the debris that high. And the fires from the cities, look, we, we dumped on Germany the equivalent of 600 atomic bombs during World War II in conventional explosives. It didn't affect the climate because rain just took all that smoke and ash out of the atmosphere. You know, it, it did not. We have, we had a volcanic eruption in the South Pacific that was the equivalent of hundreds of millions of fusion bombs. And through, you know, and yes, they've just now recorded the coldest temperature ever in Antarctica, right, last month. So there's global cooling. It's part of what, in the Southern Hemisphere. But it's not nuclear winter. We don't even have the explosive power to imitate that that what nature did right so, so there's it's maybe we, we've watched too many uh, hours of dr strange love perhaps <laughs> yeah no it's it well you see it's our consumer society we want it to be true that the weapons are not usable you know i i was in a conference with colonel lunov and i said i said i want to tell you something before we went in, we were talking to a bunch of American security experts. And I said, you know, Americans don't believe nuclear war is possible. They think it's the end of the world. And he looked at me and says, they do? And I said, yeah, they think all the whales and fishies are going to die. The environment's going to die. Everybody's going to die. And he, he said, well, how can they think that? You know, it's like, no. I mean, there will be some areas will be turned into desert because the short-term fallout will kill all the plants and the trees. That's immediately downwind of, you know, and that will be terrible, but it won't, it isn't the whole surface of the earth. It's a fraction of the part of the earth you're going to have. But, you know, what people don't realize is most of the people that die in such a war are going to die not of directly of the blast and radiation effects. They're going to die because of basic infrastructure breakdown. And the uh, look, we're already the war in Ukraine has upset. There's 40 million people that don't have enough food in Africa right now that are going to starve yeah. just because of a conventional war. Imagine the destruction of a nuclear war on a bigger scale. How many people in other continents are going to starve to death because our food exports will be interrupted, right? That's yeah. the real loss of life in a nuclear war, not the nuclear weapons. Hmm. Here's a good question. This is from Laura Joe for Truth, who says, I've heard a theory that Biden would surrender uh, the United States to China. Do you think America has military leaders who will fight against others with our military to defend our freedom? I think that's possible. Um, I don't think that Anybody in this country is going to agree on a surrender of the country if the country's bombed. You look at the Ukrainians, their cities are being hit by conventional ordinance. Their psychology is to dig in and fight harder. Um, the same thing has happened to Britain in World War II when the Nazis started bombing them. 
they just it made them more determined to resist they we did the um strategic bombing survey after world war ii what the effect on germany was like i said we dropped the equivalent of 600 atomic bombs on germany during the war in conventional ordinance uh the the a very controversial study it said no the bombing really didn't have much effect uh it was the when the uh, soviet army captured the romanian oil had the biggest effect on the german production they didn't have enough oil and raw materials to run their factories they moved factories underground they built new factories that were more efficient than the ones we bombed and the bombing because we did firebombing of cities that killed innocent civilians the population became angry that what are these monsters we're fighting that are bombing women and children so we're going to resist harder so germany fought to the bitter end in that war and the the uh, strategic bombing survey suggested that the strategic bombing had negative effects rather than positive effects for the people doing the bombing that is it increased the will to resist of the germans right it didn't demoralize them it made them more angry and determined to defend and I think that we would see a spirit like that emerge in America. We're, we're already starting to see it as people start to realize that what's happened with our government, you know, what happened with the, with the election, everything. We're seeing a lot of Americans really standing up for that. Um, so there's, we're going to end with one last, uh, it's more of a comment. I thought it was a, a very beautiful comment to end with. This is from Chicken Coop Lady, who's one of our, our, my favorite uh, you know, audience members who says, Jeff, you, sir, are my favorite guest Seth has ever had on. You're so well-researched, intelligent, and refreshing. I really appreciate your viewpoint. Thank you for the strong reality checks. Well, I appreciate those words. Thank you very much. That's very kind. So, Jeff, I, I just want to thank you for taking time. I know you're a very busy man. and You've been on a lot of big shows lately. I just want to thank you for coming on and just sharing your thoughts with myself and, and our audience here. Um, very important information. So, just as a as a you know, just a you know, recap and where to follow you is jrnyquist.blog. Is that the best place to follow what you're doing? And yes, jrnyquist.blog is good. And um, you know, I'm working on a longer piece right now, and um, it's it's hard because so much stuff is breaking, and I have to follow so many things. But yeah, there's the next uh, several weeks that are going to be very important in terms of what's happening. Yeah, good. Well, I'd love to have you continue to come on for updates because I also agree that over the coming weeks and months that we're going to see a lot of things unfold uh, in our world and having you and, and your perspective is really important. So thank you again for, um, thank you again. And, and look, for those of you that are watching, I hope that we're wrong. I hope that, you know, all this is, you know, I, I, th I hope that the whole war is going to be like anything made in China, it's going to break. It's not going to work properly after a little bit and we're going to end up victorious. But I also hope that Everyone is you know, preparing the best that you can, you know, learning how to grow food and you know, find water supplies, uh, you know, thinking about how to heat your home in the winter. These are all really important topics that I hope that you're also thinking about because you know, America might need us to, uh, to live, to, to fight to defend our country. Yeah, very good. I agree right. completely. Well, thank you, Jeff. Take care. God bless. And uh, until next time, um, you know, just, just, you know, Keep doing what you're doing. It's very important. And I'll be continuing to follow your blog. And uh, just let me know if there's any, any important information you want me to share. Um, I can get it out because I know you're on the, on the forefront of this. All right. Thank you, Seth. All right. And thank you for everyone who watched this. I hope you enjoyed this. Um, and, and for those of you that are on Rise TV, I will see you tomorrow at night for Friday Night Live at 7.30 p.m. 
and uh, we'll go from there. So thanks, everyone. Have a wonderful day and take care. Thanks again, Jeff.